G'day, Dave here, and uh, we're at the end of Romans 12. Um, I hope you've had a good week, and uh, thank you for joining with us to look at this. It's a really challenging passage, this one. As I've been looking at it, and I've been working um, pretty hard on this passage, I find a number of things that really speak to my heart, things I need to be changing, attitudes that I need to develop, and things that I would have thought that I would have dealt with years and years and years, perhaps decades ago, but I'm still being confronted with today. And maybe you'll find the same. Uh, if you've been looking at it in advance, maybe you've already seen some of these challenges. Well, how about we pray for God's help uh, that we'll uh, not only understand this word, but that we'll live it out and that it will be part of our worship of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be with us now. Give us strength, give us energy, give us focus uh, to listen to your word. Help us to really grapple with it, to understand it, Help us to be deeply moved by it as we reflect again on the wonders of the gospel. And we pray that you'll just give us your power and strength to be countercultural, uh, to live differently, not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed through the renewing of our minds. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there is <clears throat> pardon me, a fair bit that will probably be pushed to change. And so I, I want to get us to think afresh, uh, to go back and look again at the pattern that's established at the beginning of Romans, uh, Romans 12, where you've got in the light of God's mercy, so you reflect on what God has done in treating us so well, being merciful to us who've rejected him, that that leads to living lives that are fully devoted to God, giving our whole selves to him. So this is, this is a, an all-in thing. Right? It's not a hobby, it's not a Sunday activity, it's not as it's convenient, it's the whole of life. It's no longer living for self, it's now wholeheartedly living for God. It's full on. right? And in that wholehearted, full on living for God, we're not to conform to the pattern of the world any longer in its opposition to God and its selfish indulgence, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That is, we need to think differently so that we'll know God's will and we'll put it into practice in the way that we live. And that is worship, right? Now, we've seen that in all kinds of different ways. Now, in these final few verses, we're going to see it in terms of the way that we treat people who treat us poorly, the way that we treat people who are perhaps even our enemies. And here it is incredibly radical. So have a look at it with me. You'll remember last week we skipped a bit over verse 14. So let me read that first. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Incredibly radical, isn't it? People persecute us. They, they want to shut us down. They want to silence us. They want us uh, to be criticized. They want us to be uh, the laughing stock of those around about them. And in some places they actually persecute uh, to the point of threat on life and, uh, and burn churches and destroy houses. And we can read about this. You follow the Barnabas Fund, open doors, and you'll see that Christians are being killed even today for their faith. And what we are being called to do is to bless those who persecute us, to bless and not to curse. Now, that's extraordinary, isn't it? How can you possibly bless and not curse? one who treats you badly. Um, you might have noticed on the news just in the last week, the, um, the I don't quite know the circumstances, but there was a young Tongan boy, 15-year-old, I think, uh, in, in Melbourne who was murdered 
and it took place not too far from the church that he and his family were a part of. And his parents on national TV were saying that they weren't seeking revenge, that they're actually willing to offer forgiveness to whoever it was that had killed their son. Now that is absolutely gobsmackingly, mind-blowingly radical because the normal human reaction, and uh, I think it was Nietzsche who said that, um, that revenge is, is actually a, an instinct of the human heart. Uh, it, it's what comes naturally to, to people. It's, it's not uh, difficult for us to desire to get our own back. And who would begrudge a parent whose son had just been murdered? And yet those parents were saying, we want to offer forgiveness to the one who did this. That is Christian radical transformation. That's what it is. Now, how is this to work itself out? We'll look at verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. A different response to the way we've been treated. So you've been treated evil, don't return evil. No, instead, do what's right in the eyes of everyone. Uh, my grandmother used to tell me that two wrongs do not make a right. Don't retaliate. Don't just respond in kind. If somebody criticizes you, then don't make your criticism better than theirs. Don't fire back at them. Don't seek to put them down, even if they've put you down. If somebody takes something from you, don't steal back from them. If somebody damages you or your property, don't seek to damage them or their property. No, bless rather than do evil. That's what we're being told. Now, the NIV actually, it, it kind of doesn't use a word. It would have been very helpful if it had included a word that's there in the original. Because in verse 17, it says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but think. Think about doing what is right in the eyes of everyone. Consider, think, be careful is the way they've put it. Again, it's involving the mind. What we need to do, friends, is to hit pause when people treat us badly. To hit pause. Uh, I think my parents actually told me that it was a good thing to count to ten if you're angry. One, two, three. And I don't know if that meant it gives your brother or your sister ten seconds to run away before you chase them and beat them, or whether it's a way of getting us to slow down and to realise that we don't have to respond the same way back. And if you use that ten seconds, right, if you use that pause, that, that time for thinking, to think again how God has treated you in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. To remember that you were God's enemy, but he's shown mercy towards you. To remember that you deserve nothing from God, but he's given you everything. To realize that while we curse God in the way we live, the way we think and what we do and what we don't do, God blesses us in return by sending Jesus to die for us. Then we have every reason to hit pause, to slow down and to react differently. In fact, not simply to react, but to consider what we do in response. And so in verse 18, he says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. See, Christians are to be peacemakers. Jesus taught that. Blessed are the peacemakers. We are to be people who make peace. We're to be people who help mend relationships, people who reconcile. We're not to be people of, of bitterness. We're not to be people who hold grudges. We're not to be people who demand our own rights, who expect an apology before we will offer any kind of uh, investment in them. 
so often I think relationships just come to a bitter end because people are standing on their rights or their perceived rights. Why should I forgive them? They haven't done anything to deserve it. Why should I treat them well when they've treated me so harshly? Why should I speak kindly to them when they've done nothing but abuse me? Now, I suspect that in most of the conflicts we're involved in, it's more complicated than they've done everything wrong and we've done everything right. And maybe we'd do well to search our own hearts for a while. Maybe part of our counting to ten is to actually reflect on what's going on in ourselves. What have we brought to this conflict? How might we have made things worse? What are they up against when they try and relate to me? How have I made this marriage a difficult place to be? How have I made this family an uncomfortable place to be in? How have I made the workplace more complicated and stressful? See, there's always reason to blame other people, to point the finger at others, but what about ourselves? How have we contributed to this? You see, if we start to realise with, with a, a little bit more insight, wisdom and intelligence that we contribute to the problems that we're in, then maybe we'll show a bit more mercy to others because we'd like them to show that to us. But there's a deeper motivation here, isn't there? Even if you have been innocent and it's been entirely their fault, God has treated you with mercy. So show mercy in response. If it's possible, as far as it depends upon you, then live at peace with everyone. Now, of course, as much as it depends on you is important there because it takes two to reconcile. One can offer forgiveness, but unless the forgiveness is received, then there cannot be reconciliation. If one still holds... uh, a hostile attitude towards the other, then you're not going to mend that relationship and bring opposing parties back together again. One of the harsh difficulties that I've experienced in uh, my life, I think, is one or two, not many, but one or two relationships that have broken down where there has been an attempt and in some cases many attempts to reconcile. And we haven't been able to. Maybe I've still had problems in myself they haven't been able to see. Maybe there have been things in them where they, they harbour a, a bitterness or a, a stubbornness from their side that says they're not going to respond. And it's very hard when things aren't mended. It can be very difficult when there's a breakdown of relationship and all of the best efforts are put in and that's not made right. But friends, we need to realise that we can't take responsibility for the other person's actions. We can't make them do anything. We can't expect that they will do what's right, but we can expect that we will. We can take responsibility for ourselves. And so if there's a conflict that you find is continuing to this day, is there something that you can do about it? Is there still a breakdown in relationship because you've not been willing to take that first step, to show initiative, to offer an apology, to, to, to repent, to change, to ask for forgiveness, to ask them to help you to see things their way, to seek to understand things from their side. You see, as much as it depends upon us, we're to seek reconciliation, we're to be peacemakers. We shouldn't be the barrier to reconciliation. 
Now, that doesn't mean it'll be easy. It doesn't mean it won't be painful. It doesn't mean, certainly, that we won't need help. Maybe we need great help to be able to do that. But it's deeply saddening when you get a Christian brother and sister and, or a couple of brothers and a couple of sisters and they will not reconcile. In fact, I've seen people leave churches rather than patch up a relationship with somebody else. I've seen churches split down the middle because of opposing parties that will not agree. They both want things done their way. And so long as they dig in and they take their stance, you end up with a split and division and sometimes long-term bitterness. And there's a sad history of that among Christians. And we're not to be like that. We are to be different. Church is not to be demanding your rights. It's not to be a place where I've got to get my own way. No, we need to realise that we belong to each other and that together we belong to God and that we each have a role to play and that, that he's, he's acted to give each of us gifts that will contribute to that whole. And he's called us to love each other with the exercise of our gifts, with our attitude, to actually want the best for each other. So don't repay evil with evil. Do what's right. As far as it's possible, then, then live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. See, the reality is that there will be a day of judgment. And you don't need to ensure that people get what they deserve here and now for a number of reasons. One is that you're not God and you can't see the whole picture. And the whole picture might be severely tainted by your own sinfulness. I might be thinking, no, I have every right to see that person punished, but I'm just filtering it through my own attitudes, my own perspectives. God will see and do that which is right, and we can trust him with that. And we are to entrust ourselves and to entrust others to the one who will judge justly, it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. Here we're told that it is God's right to bring um, justice that he will avenge as you read through the old testament you see again and again god's people crying out god how long until you punish the evildoer how long am i going to cop it at the hands of those who who mock you who treat you badly those who worship idols and foreign gods how long are you going to put up with this god well god will honor himself don't worry about that but don't be God. Don't try and play God here and now. It's not your place to seek revenge, friends. It's not mine. No, when there's a conflict, our place is to try and bring reconciliation. Our place is to work out our contribution to that. Our place is to pray for them, to bless them. In fact, you get this radical response here in verse, uh, verse 20. It says, On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, then give him something to drink. Um, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it have been radical in, instead of US drones dropping bombs on, on Afghanistan and, and Iraq and, and so on, if, if they'd actually drop food supplies and water, medical supplies, um, education, welfare materials, just if they'd sought to not reply with hostility 
but to reply by making peace. Now, I don't want to get into international politics and stuff, but you can see there how radical is the response. If instead of road rage, we just pause for a minute to think, what might be bringing that about? Why might they have cut me off? Why might they be yelling and screaming at me through their car window? What's going on in their life? Have they just come from a fight with their wife? Um, Have they lost their job? Are they just so stressed from the demands upon them from their workplace that they've been caught in traffic and they just it's just blown out and they can't cope? You see, there's there's usually something behind it, isn't there? And and by not seeking revenge, maybe we make ourselves available to show empathy, to show kindness, to actually try and understand what why are people treating us badly? Well, maybe there's something going on. Maybe we're actually contributing to the problem. Why is my wife moody at this point of time? What have I done? How, how, how might it be partly my doing that she's feeling like not, not well towards me at the moment? Um, why is it that there's so much stress and conflict amongst my kids at the moment? What, what's going on? And so we pause and we think about our contribution and, and maybe what we could do differently rather than immediately assuming our own righteousness and piling it on others in response. Friends, we have good reasons here to, to treat others well, to show um, generous generosity towards them, to be merciful to them because that's how God has treated us. So if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, he will heap burning coals on his head. What does that mean? <laughs> um, to heap burning coals. Now, that, that doesn't sound like treating someone well, does it? Um, here's, uh, here's a biscuit and here's a cup of coffee. It's not telling you to put burning coals on their head or even to pour a cup of hot coffee on their head. No, it's saying that might be the result. So all we're called to do here is to respond uh, to evil with good, to respond to cursing with blessing, to respond to violence with peace, anger with calm. That's what we're called to do. But in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. What does it mean? Well, I don't know exactly, but let, let, me, um, let me tell you, this comes from Proverbs. If you see your footnote there, uh, you can read that it comes from Proverbs uh, chapter 25 and verses 20 and 21. So a good place to start would be to look at that and see whether the context helps us to understand it. So Proverbs 25, uh, verse 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Now, you look around about that and unfortunately the, the, the context doesn't seem to uh, give any insight into that image of burning coals. It's just nothing there. So what's he saying? Well, there are a number of references in the Old Testament to burning coals. And every time it seems to be a, a picture of judgment. And yet even though it's a picture of judgment, it's not what we do here. It's what happens. It's not what we are called to do. We're not called to heap burning coals. We are called to feed and to give something to drink to those who are in need. 
And in doing this, it will heap burning coals on their head. Now, I don't know exactly what it's saying, but I shouldn't twist this to mean that it's a way of getting my own back against them. It might be saying, you do good and God will bring everything to account. It might have some other meaning, some kind of metaphorical meaning, whereby people see their shame, perhaps, uh, or, or people are caused to think about their attitudes and their behaviour. I just don't know. But what I do know is that the gospel shapes the way that we are called to live. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, evil never wins. Evil just brings about destruction. So don't try and overcome evil or don't be overcome by evil. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Friends, it's not about getting even. It's not about getting what we deserve. The reality here is that we're called to love. This whole section has been about love. And love is about putting people before ourselves. It's not about getting what we want. It's really about living out the gospel. About treating people kindly when they don't deserve it. They don't. And we're thankful to God that that's how he treated us, aren't we? We didn't deserve it. The cross. The resurrection. The gift of God's spirit. We didn't deserve it. And yet God has given us everything out of mercy what a great god and you know what our lives will be massively different if we learn to treat others the way that god has treated us they really will well this i think requires some renewed thinking and so i want to point us in three directions first of all to the past to remember the mercy of god never forget the good news of what God has done for you through Jesus. That's the foundation. There is where you start your Christian life. There is where you find help and hope and the very shape of the Christian life to come. So look back. Keep remembering God's mercy in Jesus. And look forward. Consider the future. God will set all things right. He set a day when he will judge the world. Vengeance is God's, not yours, not mine. We can entrust ourselves, we can entrust our circumstances. We can rely upon God to do what is right in response to all evil, all injustice, all pain that's been inflicted. He will, and we can leave it with him. The heart maybe struggles with leaving it with God. We kind of have this instinct where we desire revenge. So let's pray in the here and now that we won't just respond out of instinct, that we won't be people of reflex, but that we'll be people who pause, slow down, count to ten, considering the mercy of God towards us, so that when people treat us badly, we can treat them well in return. When people do evil, we can return evil with good. When people curse, we can return that with blessing. 
when people are hostile, we can become peacemakers. Friends, let's pray for God's help. There are two ways to get rid of your enemies. One is a bullet, and the other is to make them your friend. I think we know which one <laughs> we're called to. How about we pray? Loving Father, we ask that you will transform our minds, that you'll renew our thinking, that you'll fill us with such a love and humility that comes from the gospel that our lives won't be shaped by seeking revenge from, from others uh, or upon others, but that our lives will be lived out of a desire to seek the welfare of others, to seek their best, to reconcile and to bless. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.